guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. Well, happy feast of the Holy Family. Today, in our gospel, we hear of these mysterious events surrounding the first years of Jesus' life. And St. Joseph features quite significantly in these stories, in these events. And I'd like to speak a little bit today about why that is and how Joseph and the story of the gospel interprets the words of St. Paul in our second reading. But before I do so, I wanted to, to share some of the thoughts that I had put together for a wedding that I celebrated yesterday in Manhattan for a few of my uh, they weren't my students, they were students at Emporia State when I was the chaplain of the, the campus center there. So I had the privilege of preparing them for marriage. Uh, the bride was actually a convert. I gave her her first communion and confirmation, welcomed her into the church. And so uh, this was a couple that was, that was particularly uh, close to my heart. And so I put quite a bit of thought and reflection on what, what did I want to communicate to them? What did I want them to take away as a memory from the, from the mass uniting them as husband and wife. One of the things that I like to talk about in the context of, of wedding masses, and particularly wedding masses for those who are married not long after their college graduation, is why it is that we get married for love. Something you and I take for granted. Why else would you get married? But that wasn't always the case in human history. There were plenty of other reasons for getting married. But our age particularly values the emotion and the sentiment of love as the primary motive for marrying. The great G.K. Chesterton, who's a 20th century journalist, he, he, he said, people always get this wrong. They argue that marrying for love is a good thing for all the wrong reasons. He said, the reason you marry for love is because the sexes are like two stubborn pieces of iron. And if you're going to join them together, it has to be while they are red hot. <laughs> he goes on to say, by the standard of every woman, every man is a selfish beast. But she has to learn this while she is still in the story of beauty and the beast. By the standard of every man, every woman is sensitive to the point of madness. But he has to learn this when her madness is more worth considering than anyone else's sanity. It's a beautiful encapsulation of what marriage is really about. And I remember when my friends got married not long after college, Many of them said, yeah, we know it's going to be hard. Marriage is hard. Yeah, we don't have our finances in order. We don't have our life plan put together. We don't really know what the future holds. But that's what love is for, to help make those difficult times easier to bear. So I'm in favor of what you might call startup marriages. There are many examples of mergers. We can read about them. Well, I, we don't really read about them here, but... Out east, there's the custom of publishing these sort of illustrious unions, couples from very important families who announce their engagements or their weddings, and you read these long list of credentials, right? These people have their lives put together, and they're negotiating a kind of merger. 
I've got my, I got my life in order, I've got my plans in order, and it just so happens that this person fits into those plans, and, and so we can negotiate something that's going to work. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, especially, but I think marriage has a much greater chance of succeeding when those plans are made in union, together, before all of that makes sense, before all of that's laid in place. Assuming, of course, we're not being totally irresponsible, right? I'm not saying being married as a young person out of irresponsibility is good. But marrying for love is, a good, is, is one of the things that Chesterton's little quote there points out very beautifully. But the other reason I like that quote, if we could play out the image of, of iron being joined together, the other reason I like that is that iron doesn't become useful until it cools. When it's hot, it's basically just good for branding cattle and, and not much else. Only when iron cools is it useful. And so I think in our culture, there's a kind of sense, an emotional sense, that after things cool down in a marriage, well, isn't, isn't that sad? Isn't that, isn't that something we would, we would have liked to have continued for longer? Yes, of course, but... Marriage is for something more than simply joining two people. It's about then creating a useful reality known as the home, which creates the cradle of life, which creates a school of love and of peace. That's what marriage is for, as well as the sanctification of the individuals who enter into that marriage. This particular couple, these are all things that I shared with them yesterday, I wanted, I wanted to give them, as their wedding gift, something that would really help to make concrete the idea of what it meant to create a place of warmth and affection and love in their home. So, my gift to them wasn't a, wasn't a book, but the book was the means to receiving the gift. Here's what I mean. The book was by the great Willa Cather. She was a 20th century author, one of my favorites, one of the best one of the best out there. And the book was the story of the life of a young girl growing up in French Canada in the 1700s as a colonist. The book is entitled Shadows on the Rock. It's not a very exciting book, not much happens, but it's, it's to experience somewhat of, of perhaps what family life used to be, what a culture of a strong family life used to look like. This particular passage, after the rain and the, and the coldness over the last few days, made me think it would be good to share. So, Cecile is growing up, she's 12 or so, she loses her mother at a young age, and her mother, who's dying of, of her terminal illness, determines, I, I want to hand on to my daughter the way of life that, I, that I'm familiar with, the way of making and creating and sustaining a home that creates a, a place of warmth and of life. And after she dies, little Cecile has to take on many of the responsibilities of the home with her father. But one morning she lays in bed and the narrator writes, it was a pleasant and a novel experience to lie warm in bed while her father was getting dinner in the kitchen and to feel no responsibility at all. To listen to the drip of the rain 
to watch the gray daylight fade away in the salon and the firelight grow redder and redder on the old chairs and the sofa, on the gilt picture frames and the brass candlesticks. But her mind roamed about the town and was dreamily conscious of its activities and of the lives of her friends, of the dripping gray roofs and spires, the lighted windows along the crooked streets, and the great gray river choked with ice and frozen snow the never-ending merciless forest beyond. All these things seemed to her like layers and layers of shelter with this one flickering, shadowy room at the core. I found that so beautiful to really portray what it is that a family is about and how precious that is. How much, how much sacrifice is involved in creating that and sustaining that. So that was what I entrusted to them. And what I asked of them, this particular couple, when I gave them a copy of this book, was this book isn't the gift. The gift is received through this book. What I want you to do is to read this book, preferably out loud and preferably to each other, before you have your first child. As a way of giving shape and form to this thing that you're called to do and to be. In the end, I wanted to remind them that there's a myth that says to live through a bad marriage is hard. Good marriages are easy. They happen hardly without effort if you find the right person. Bad marriages mean you failed somehow. And you're just going to have to really knuckle down, sacrifice, push through. But of course, it's exactly the opposite that is the case. Anybody can slide into a, a mean and a selfish and a conflicted and resentful marriage. Anybody can do that. It's not hard. Everything in our fallen human nature kind of inclines us to that, doesn't it? No, the real miracle is a good marriage. Creating the habitual virtues that allow love to not only remain steady, but to grow with the changes of the years and the cooling that inevitably takes place. This requires enormous self-discipline, a high sense of calling, reliance on spiritual nourishment, prayer and sacraments and the word of God and a determination to learn again and again as often as is necessary, my life is not about me. That's a miracle, a miracle of God's grace, and we should revere it and honor it wherever it is found. St. Joseph today in our scripture shows us what St. Paul means in the second reading when he talks about how wives should be subject to their husbands, husbands should love their wives as Christ loves the church, how fathers should not, what's the word, 
try the patience of their children, and that children should obey their parents. A mutual subjection that takes place within the family, but with the father as the spiritual head. I think this is an important commentary on what St. Paul is saying, to see that holy family as precisely the example of what St. Paul is speaking of. Because, of course, St. Joseph is the spiritual head of his family, and of course, St. Joseph is the least important member of his family. His headship is not my way, right or wrong. His headship is founded upon his determined and settled willingness to follow God wherever he leads and to manifest that as a humble service to those entrusted to his care. This is what fatherhood means. This is what the Holy Family gives us, is a reminder that we're striving for this, that we're seeking, that we're seeking this. One of the things that I think it's important to us to take from this story is that St. Joseph's example and his service is a model not just for fathers and for husbands, but for all men. All of us are called to this kind of fatherhood, regardless of our vocation. St. Jose Maria pointed out that St. Matthew keeps emphasizing throughout the story Joseph's faithfulness how he keeps God's commands without wavering, without delay, even though the meaning of those commandments was sometimes obscure, or their relationship to the rest of the divine plan was hidden from him. He was still faithful. He was still obedient. He never wavered. St. Jose Maria also pointed out that St. Joseph's name in Hebrew means God will add. God will add. That is, God will add unsuspected richness and depth to the lives of those who do his will. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That Joseph, because he was obedient, found himself, we won't say accidentally, but certainly not through any effort of his own, enriched immeasurably by the presence of the God-man in his home and the woman that God created to bear him. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. And added to that, God gave him authority over them. <laughs> Imagine the predicament that you and I would, would feel in such a situation. And so certainly Joseph, in his humility, was aware, I can't do this without God. I cannot do this apart from obedience and faithfulness to him. My job certainly very clear to him, is to lay down my life for these entrusted to me. The thought of St. Joseph getting his way right or wrong in the Holy Family is unimaginable. And the thought that Mary would somehow kick against his authority or push against him or disrespect him, so too is that unthinkable. We see that through St. Paul's commands to family saying wives should expect their husbands to take the lead and respect that leadership and often that is one of the greatest gifts that they give their husbands is to prompt them hey hey by the way <laughs> this is on you take the lead 
Men, all too often, we're willing to sit back and let somebody else get it done. You'll do fine. I'm okay. (laughs) Take care of it. You you want to take care of it? Great. Even if it's not your responsibility, I'll let you go for it. And I realize that the people that I'm saying this to here today don't need that message. You've already made that commitment in significant ways. Many of the people who do need to hear that message aren't here today. But we, had, we have a reason to be clear in the witness that we want to give. An invitation, a challenge. And I want to encourage and affirm you in those commitments that have been made. That a husband is a spiritual head of a family takes responsibility for the growth of those entrusted to his care, for his wife, for the children that have been given to them. That he models for them what it means to be active and listening for the will of God in their life and charting a course for their family, because this is what God wants for us. To be comfortable, or at least willing, to take the lead in praying as a family. One of the things that I want to encourage you all to to think about doing is in preparation for the Feast of St. Joseph, close to three months from now, in late March, there's a tradition called the Seven Sundays of St. Joseph. For the seven Sundays leading up to his feast, there are certain prayers that could be said by a family. What a beautiful thing if you're looking for a way to jumpstart this commitment in your family, or a way to suggest to others who might be open to jumpstarting this commitment in their family. Commit to the seven Sundays of sitting down as a family, having a meal, and then afterwards, not turning on the TV, not scattering to our respective rooms or activities, but staying together, praying, and seeing what happens. God will add. May the example of the Holy Holy Family inspire and encourage and affirm us and the good things that he has sown so deeply into our lives that perhaps we struggle to recognize in our day-to-day lives the goodness that is there. May he awaken in us a gratitude for the blessings bestowed, give us fortitude to face situations that need to be addressed, conflicts that lay below the surface, all in the name of truth and love so that our families will be truly founded on the beauty and the gifts that he holds out to us today on this beautiful feast. St. Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.